3: One of the most successful public health programs in history is under threat. The program started 20 years ago, and it saved millions of lives. It's called PEPFAR, short for the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief. In his State of the Union address in 2003, then-President George W. Bush explained why help was needed to stem the devastation from HIV and AIDS.
0: Today on the continent of Africa, nearly 30 million people have the AIDS virus including 3 million children under the age 15. There are whole countries in Africa where more than one-third of the adult population carries the infection. More than 4 million require immediate drug treatment. Yet across that continent, only 50,000 AIDS victims, only 50,000, are receiving the medicine they need.
3: Bush chose Dr. Mark Diebel to design and implement the program. And Dr. Diebel remembers that State of the Union address well.
4: And I remember thinking. Two things. One, this is one of the most extraordinary acts of mercy, which is what the president called it, one of the greatest things in the history of humankind. And secondly, oh, my God, now we actually have to get it done.
3: In the two decades since, PEPFAR has saved millions from disease, death and orphanhood. Congress has reauthorized PEPFAR every five years since, and it's always enjoyed broad bipartisan support. Not this year. It's up for renewal in just two days. And a former chief supporter, Republican New Jersey Congressman Chris Smith, says the Biden administration has turned the program into a slush fund for abortion programs in Africa.
4: In comes Joe Biden. He puts out brand new guidance to all of the recipients of PEPFAR, six point seven billion, and says you have to now try to change the laws in the countries you're operating under for sexual and reproductive health and rights, which means on the LGBTQ agenda and on the abortion agenda. And they're not trying to protect life, believe me.
3: But many dispute those claims, including former President Bush himself, who is urging Congress to reauthorize PEPFAR. I'm Deborah Becker, in for Magna Chakrabarti and this is On Point. This hour, the PEPFAR program, the new pushback, and what happens if it goes away. Joining me from Nairobi, Kenya, is Nthatha in Jeru. From 2002 to 2008, she ran an HIV clinic at Nazareth Hospital near Nairobi. Since then, she's been CEO of the Africa Christian Health Associations platform. That's an umbrella group serving Christian health associations and church health networks in sub-Saharan Africa. And Katha, thanks for being on On Point. Thank you for having me. And joining us from Washington is Shepard Smith. He's co-founder of Children's AIDS Fund International. He's an evangelical Christian who says he's opposed to abortion in most circumstances, and he's worked on this issue for decades. Shepard, welcome. Welcome.
1: Thank you for having me. So
3: I want to start uh, with reminding folks of what it was like 20 years ago and and why PePVAR was so needed. Uh, so let's start with the intent of the program and I, I think perhaps the best person to explain this is is former President George W Bush. Here's a little bit more from that State of the Union address and his vision for what PEPVAR was going to be.
0: This comprehensive plan will prevent 7 million new AIDS infections, treat at least 2 million people with life-extending drugs, and provide humane care for millions of people suffering from AIDS and for children orphaned by AIDS. I ask the Congress to commit $15 billion over the next five years including nearly $10 billion in new money, to turn the tide against AIDS in the most afflicted nations of Africa and the Caribbean.
3: I want to ask you, Nkasa, you have a history of working in health care even before PEPFAR. Uh, I wonder, you know, can you tell us about what it was like before this program was put in place and how
5: AIDS and HIV care in Africa has changed since? thanks um I'm very nostalgic about what was and what has been since uh PEFA. I remember working in conditions where we knew there was HIV and AIDS and we could test people and know that they were HIV positive but we did not have much to offer so we 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 would tell someone that um, you have tested HIV positive and talk about um, cancel them and make sure they have uh the right uh, mind to go on with their life, uh, talk about their nutrition. And then we would tell them that we, you can access treatment, but it's gonna cost about $100 a month at the time, just mm. before PEPFA. Mm. And then um, we had women who tested HIV positive. We would advise them not to get pregnant because if they were pregnant, their children would be born HIV positive. And um, and that we should was, say that was it, before right yeah. right we should say was it difficult I would assume for many people to afford the hundred dollars a month for treatment definitely definitely mm-hmm. with many people living below a dollar a day a hundred dollars was uh, out of question and so people didn't even want to test because they couldn't afford the treatment mm. they wouldn't test because they yeah.
3: they couldn't do anything about it anyway yes yeah and so did you see a lot of destruction.
5: Yes, there was a lot of death. There was a lot of stigma. Mm. Um, I remember a woman that uh, whose family had abandoned her in a house and they had a plate that they would put food on the door and they had a basin that she would use as her toilet. And they would come and look uh, every day to see if she had died. Mm. But um, this was just a few months after Peffa. And uh, we were going around to villages and trying to get people to uh, get tested and get treated. And exactly one month after we put her on treatment, she was back on her feet, and she's alive today. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah.
3: So so you've seen remarkable changes then since PEPFAR. So then it allowed people to get treatment for free instead of paying $100 a month, and it allowed women to get treatment, especially pregnant women. Is that right?
5: Yes, that's right.
3: Okay. Uh, would you call, I've heard many folks say it's uh, one of the most successful uh, public health programs in history. Would you agree with
5: why? Tremendous success. Hmm. Uh, having provided access to treatment, both financially and also because now uh, we were able to get treatment to everybody through the various uh, for health facilities that were able to offer treatment. We were also able to get a lot of um Advancement in healthcare, because with PEPFA came advancement in uh, technology. We were able to collect data on our patients. We were able to train uh, health workers to diagnose as well as treat people. And, you know, HIV really is, um, you have a collection of other things that come with um, the 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 immune syndrome because we you you need to be able to treat all the opportunistic infection so there was advancement because health workers were trained on how to treat a lot of uh, the different uh, opportunistic infections mm-hmm. and then there was there was availability and there was choice and hope for families because uh, if a woman had never had a child live beyond two years because uh, a lot of the children who were born HIV positive without any intervention, would die before they got to two years, if at all uh, they they survived, then a woman is able to hold her child and at two years you graduate, we say we graduate them out because if at two years you test a child as having um, tested HIV negative, Mm -hmm. having been born of an HIV positive mother, then they are definitely HIV negative. So that the joy of those women was, was something to me. So there was a lot of hope. Pepfar came with tremendous hope.
3: Mm. Shepherd Smith, I'm wondering what you what you think of, of what you just heard from Nkatha in, in your work really uh before Pepfar and uh, and what you what you think, why you think it's been so successful.
1: Well, I, I want to reiterate what Nkatha said in respect to the conditions prior to PEPFAR and what President Bush pointed out. <clears throat> we first went to Africa. We started in this issue in 1985. We went to Africa in about 1995 and saw a great need there. And in the villages, the pe- the only people really making money were the coffin makers. Mm. And they were seeing virtually In any country along the the sides of the roads. It was a very desperate situation for for the African uh, communities. And we had the good fortune of traveling with Secretary Thompson in March of 2002 to assess what sort of health facilities were in Africa that could treat large numbers of people. And what we saw was that there were there were a few bright spots uh, in government facilities, but the, the facilities that offered the most were uh, faith based clinics and hospitals. And so we PEPFAR was partly designed to get resources directly to these facilities, which was really brilliant, because it allowed the program to expand quickly, and reach a lot of people. Um, it it really was miraculous how how many people uh, were able to access treatment and have their lives turned around. People would come in with what we what was called then slim disease, because people with AIDS, uh, their bodies would just wither. Mm -hmm. And after treatment, it wasn't long at all that when they came back, they were healthy. Uh, It was really what's known as a Lazarus effect, but it it was just incredibly gratifying to be a part of this program to save so many lives. And globally, this is the largest health effort in history by any, any country. And to consider that we have saved over 20 million lives and probably 5 million children or so, um, it is a a very much life-affirming and life-saving program.
3: Okay. Well, uh, PEPFAR is up for reauthorization. In fact, reauthorization is supposed to be done by the end of this month, which is in two days, yet there are some political forces in Congress who might hold that up. We're going to talk about that when we come back. I'm Deborah Becker. This is On Point.
0: That's ShipStation.com with the code POD.
3: This is On Point. I'm Deborah Becker. We're talking about the United States' successful 20-year effort to bring the AIDS epidemic under control in Africa and the Caribbean. Shepard Smith is with me. He's co-founder of the Children AIDS Fund International. Also joining us is Nkatha Njeru, who's CEO of the Africa Christian Health Association Platforms, an umbrella group that serves Christian health associations and church health networks in sub-Saharan Africa. And I wonder if we could talk a little bit about why PEPFAR, the program that we've been discussing, is under threat in Washington right now. There are some who say that PEPFAR funding is going for abortions in Africa. Here's Republican Congressman Chris Smith on a radio show in June, accusing the Biden administration of ruining PEPFAR.
4: They have hijacked a great program and now turn it into an abortion promoting program and the Africans don't want it. But if you give enough money and enough of the deception that they're so capable of, we see it in our own country, how deceptive the abortion lobby is. Well, in Africa, they're just as deceptive using well honed skills to lie and deceive uh, in order to kill unborn babies.
3: Shepard Smith, I wonder, uh, what do you make of the allegations that you're hearing in the U.S. as reauthorization of PEPFAR is going forward? And you've actually looked into some of these allegations. So, so tell us about that.
1: Yeah, when we first heard the rumor that was put out by the Heritage Foundation and FRC, we were stunned. We've had involvement in this issue now for 38 years and in Africa for 21 years at least, or actually more than that. Um, and, and I never ever heard the word abortion mentioned in Africa, let alone ever knowing that abortions had occurred anywhere, because first, it's illegal in most countries in Africa Second, the family is a critical element for that society in wanting to have more children. You have high infant mortality and morbidity, um, and so large numbers of children are needed for families, particularly those that are uh, related to agriculture and small trades. So it it just didn't make sense. It did not add up. And the more we looked at the heritage letter, the heritage backgrounder, um, an op-ed that was written by somebody from Heritage, it was clear they didn't really understand Africa. They really didn't understand the PEPFAR program. But unfortunately, they convinced the uh, pro-life community here that that was something that was happening when it wasn't. Hmm. Uh, we went to PEPFAR. We went to and find out what sort of oversight they've had on specifically on this issue. And uh, the most recent um, head of PEPFAR and then the person that acted as the interim director, uh, first Debbie Burks and then Angela Lee, shared how scrupulous they were with with all the groups to look for any indication that abortion was occurring. I went to the, some of the organizations that uh, Congressman Smith had asserted might be doing these things. Uh, none of them wanted to jeopardize large multi-million dollar contracts to spend a few thousand dollars on an abortion where they would then lose that contract. It just made, it made no sense. Right,
3: or could they have been indirectly related to lobbying for abortion? I mean, is there any threat of truth to any of this? Or is it just made up wholesale?
1: It's it's really all made up. I, Mm -hmm. I found no evidence whatsoever that PEPFAR is related to abortion in any way. And in respect to what was found um in the reimagining PEPFAR when i when I um saw both the references to reproductive sexual health and then one that has the word rights included with it, the first part of PEPFAR that the u s folks don't understand is that reproductive sexual health is has no reference or or relationship to, pep, to abortion, excuse me. Um, you have women who have HIV who often have other STDs and you have to look at that. You have mother to child transmission that saves all these babies and they have to be involved in reproductive sexual health. It's only when the word rights comes in That leads people to believe. Well, I brought that to the attention of the present uh, head of PEPFAR, uh, Ambassador John Kagegasan, just a a wonderful human being, if I can say that, Mm. uh, who immediately looked at this, I mean, immediately uh, found nothing in all the people he interviewed, had groups that were potentially suspect, examined again, and there was no evidence anywhere so, so, for abortion.
3: Excuse me for interrupting, but you know Congressman Smith, right? He was, he was a friend of yours. I mean, do you, did you say, did you talk to him about this? And, and why do you think he's making these allegations if you did and pointed out that, that they're
1: false? We've known Chris for or Congressman Smith for close to 40 years, probably. Um, and, you know, we traveled to Africa, to Uganda with he and his wife. Um, we've been good friends, and I am mystified. I mean, absolutely mystified by why he went down this road. I think when you have the a lot of the core conservative groups and the pro-life groups— who he's worked with forever, um, all say this is a problem. He had to jump in. He didn't have a choice but to look at this. Mm -hmm. But when when due diligence wasn't fully done as completely as I think it should have been, um, he just acquiesced to the narrative that was being presented to him and I think it's a terrible mistake. Did you uh, ask him?
3: Did you a did, sad one? Did you, ask? did you ask him? I mean, with a decades-long friendship, I, I, did you I say, have, "Hey, I Chris, What's going on?"
1: I have interacted with his staff. I would rather not get into a uh, what, <laughs> what would probably be a heated argument with him, mm. and uh, would rather get through this without um, that happening. But <laughs> but he's just totally mistaken.
3: And Katha, I wonder, what, what do you think about these these allegations? And, and what are you hearing uh, uh, about, you know, suspicions of the misuse of PEPFAR funding?
5: Well, well being respectful of the concerns, uh, we have been uh, looking ourselves and waiting to hear of any evidence that has not come forth. And I have worked on PEPFAR now for 20 years. Um since it's um since two thousand and three, and the rules of PEPFA are stringent. in general, u s um, government funding has very stringent uh, guidelines for its application. And I do not have any evidence of the funds being used against the rules. Mm-hmm. and uh, so 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 for me my message to to the to the people that have these allegations is can we get uh, any evidence and use that evidence to correct whatever it is if there is any which i do not think is there but let's not throw out uh, a pro life pro um initiative like this which is what if they are pro life pepfa is really pro life okay yeah uh, let, let's talk a little bit
3: about the politics. I want to bring in uh, Sarah Overmall to the conversation. She's a Washington correspondent at the Health and Medical News website, Stat. Sarah, let's talk about uh, why. If if we're, we can't quite understand why these accusations are coming forward right now for a very successful public health initiative like PEPFAR, uh, tell us what's at risk here and, and you know, what might be happening. Is, is reauthorization truly at risk, or do you think we're going to see some sort of compromise from lawmakers in the next two days.
2: Well, thank you, Deborah. I think I think the why is really interesting because, as Shepard has said before, this has been a bipartisan effort. This has been supported by Republicans since President Bush, and also this policy that Representative Smith is talking about is not new. Every uh, Democratic president has rescinded the so-called Mexico City policy, or. or global gag rule, as it's called, which limits uh, funds from going to providers who do abortion counseling or services. And every Republican has implemented it again. So this is not new. What's new is that we're in a post-Roe America. And I think this is pretty emblematic of where the Republican Party is as a whole on how far they want to go on abortion limits. And so Representative Smith is taking this sort of domestic conversation and applying it to PEPFAR. Um, In terms of the authorization, I mean, two things are going to happen this Saturday. It's authorization uh, for PEPFAR and then also the budget. We're looking at, at the moment, a total shutdown. The good news is that PEPFAR is considered one of the government's essential programs. So in the event of a shutdown, money will still be going to it. But the question is what PEPFAR is allowed to do. Uh, Even... Even Democrats at this point are saying that a five-year authorization, reauthorization, I should say, is looking increasingly unlikely. Uh, They're pushing for maybe three years. Representative Smith is pushing for one year uh, with these limits put back in place. And even some of his own Republican colleagues are saying that that's totally unrealistic. I think it's worth noting that in the Senate, Lindsey Graham, who is a Republican and the co-sponsor on the Senate version of this, has been asked about these allegations by my uh, colleague John Wilkerson, and he said, I have seen no evidence of that. So Smith is not acting with the full support of his party at this point either.
1: Hmm.
3: And, we, and we should mention, uh, former President George W. Bush, who started PEPFAR, uh, has been talking with lawmakers. He's written an op-ed urging Congress to reauthorize PEPFAR. Is that a, do you think that's affecting deliberations, or does that have any impact here?
2: an interesting question because, you know, I mean, obviously this was, it, it is an example, of course, President Bush being the, the champion of this, that this has been so historically bipartisan. But this is a different Republican Party than the one that he knew when he was president. And there's a lot of, uh, I think, social politics going on here. Uh, like I said earlier, I mean, in a post-Roe America, this is pretty emblematic of where the Republican Party is. And you even see that playing out on the debate stage for the Republican presidential candidates where each of them is saying that they are anti-abortion, but then having to define what they mean by that and how far they're willing to go with limits. And so I think that, I mean, as Shepard said earlier, this isn't necessarily, PEPFAR has never been about um, an abortion debate. I think the problem is, though, um, and, and to politely push, push back on something Shepard said, um, Republicans have sought to sort of untether family planning from abortion, especially uh, in the wake of Roe. And I think it's very difficult to do that because you see there is data from when the Mexico City policy was in place that more unintended pregnancies happen and potentially more abortions happen. So you can't really untangle these two things, family planning, com- contraceptives, um, An abortion from each other.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we'll let we'll let Shepherd uh, talk about that in just a minute. I just want to get into a little bit more about about this political debate because I think it's fascinating. I think that what you're saying here is this is really an example of you know abortion politics uh, affecting this program, despite uh, despite its success and despite the fact that many involved in PEPFAR actually dispute the accusations that there's any connection to abortion at all. Albeit there there it may be ha- hard to disentangle. Uh, family planning uh, and other things from abortion. But I I do want to uh, play a piece of tape here from uh, Travis Weber with the Family Research Council. He's among uh, the anti-abortion groups uh, who uh, have been talking to lawmakers about this. Here he is speaking with his boss, Tony Perkins, on a radio show, Washington Watch. And he had a warning to Republican lawmakers. Let's listen.
4: Anyone who wants to be pro-life in their political voting record, we have to say, PEPFAR cannot go as it has been. It has to be amended to include the protecting life and global health assistance policy, expanded Mexico City policy to prevent it from funding abortion. It's really clear. So Tony, this is um, important and it's important that Congress uh, be aware and take this step.
3: So Sarah Overmall, I just wonder, is this this is really a, a referendum on abortion for Republican lawmakers? And will will they take that threat seriously and could it affect deliberations?
2: I think it is fair to say that it's a bit of a referendum on abortion because we've even seen, you know, at the same time as this conversation is happening around PEPFAR, we do have the budget discussions. And House Republicans have sought to put things into a previously uncontroversial defense bill that would further limit abortion federally, um, as well as other uh, sort of social political things like gender affirming care Um and so this is something that's already playing out in the United States, and now it's just sort of been tacked on to the PEPFAR discussion and the international discussion about abortion. Uh, I think what's what's interesting is that both of these things are coming to a head on Saturday with both the budget, the, the funds for any of this, and then the authorities for PEPFAR. And, and like I said earlier, PEPFAR will st- still keep its doors open in the event of a shutdown, but we're really talking about what they're allowed to do going forward.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and Katha mentioned earlier that the rules on this program are already very stringent. Uh, and, and we certainly know that there are amendments preventing funding uh, for abortion for, from various U.S. programs. I, I'm wondering, you know, could there be some sort of compromise here in terms of strengthening regulations? I know you mentioned the Mexico City policy I mean, is that on the table as well? You know, um,
2: going back to what Senator Lindsey Graham said to one of my colleagues when he was asked about re-implementing the Mexico City policy during this administration, he simply said that is not realistic. So if even other Republicans are saying that that's not on the table right now, I don't think that it is. I think that what we're talking about now is probably a pretty narrow reauthorization. Normally, PEPFAR is authorized for five years. Uh, and I think that probably what is going to happen as we move forward is that Representative Smith and, and other House members, because this really is a House Republican-driven conversation at the moment, mm-hmm. are going to probably have to negotiate down on what they uh, are talking about, especially since uh, Republican senators don't seem as moved by this argument. Uh, of course, I don't mean to speak for all Republican senators, but the ones who are leading on this debate are. But I would also note that there is um, a little bit of a, a hitch as well, because in um for Democrats, because in the Senate, Senator Bob Menendez is the sponsor on this, Mm. and he's embroiled in his own Mm. uh, scandal at the moment. Of course. Big trouble.
3: All right. Sarah (laughs) Overmall, Washington correspondent for the Health and Medical News website, STAT. Sarah, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. And when we come back, we'll ask what the future might look like for Africans and others if PEPFAR is stopped or disrupted. I'm Deborah Becker, and this is On Point. This is On Point. I'm Deborah Becker. We want to note now that we are working on a show for next week about ultra-processed foods, essentially packaged food that contains synthetic ingredients that are really almost impossible to avoid. One study, in fact, says ultra-processed foods make up 73 percent, 73 percent of the U.S. food supply. So we want to hear from you. We're taking your questions and concerns for our show. Do you want to know how ultra-processed foods might might be affecting your health. Could you do us some advice on how to identify or avoid them? Or maybe you've done that and you have some tips for fellow On Point listeners. Send us your questions or comments about ultra-processed foods via the On Point Vox Pop app. If it's not on your phone already, just search On Point Vox Pop wherever you get your apps. Or you can leave us a voicemail by calling 617 353 But today, we are talking about a successful public health program in the U.S. that is up for reauthorization and is in peril right now. Joining us to talk about this is Nkatha Njeru, who's CEO of the Africa Christian Health Association's platform. Also, Shepard Smith, who's co-founder of the Children's AIDS Fund International. We've been talking about this earlier and about the politics and uh, abortion politics, really affecting the program known as PEPFAR. And I wonder, uh, Shepard Smith, let's start with you. We heard from Sarah over Overmall earlier in the show, and she said, you know, five-year reauthorization, which has been done for the past 20 years, is unlikely. How will that affect what's happening on the ground, do you
1: think? Well, it's extremely unfortunate that we're in this battle over essentially nothing. Um, the program already has legal protections against abortion. There's a Helms Amendment, a Siljander Amendment, and other amendments that prohibit the funds being used for abortion. And by all counts, everyone has has abided by those rules. So where we are right now. Um, For those of us in the faith community who work in Africa and are pro-life, we're at a point where uh, it's it's hugely frustrating and embarrassing that the pro-life community here in the U.S. has made an issue of this. Where abortion wasn't talked about in Africa much at all, it's now being talked about a lot. Uh, so the pro-life community, at least, has uh, done what what other groups haven't been able to do—to get people to talk about the issue. Um, what it means with a um, without a reauthorization, it it will reduce the confidence in the countries where we're working that we're going to fulfill our commitment. Uh, and I might add that PEPFAR is extremely important in the geopolitics of the world these days with China um, mm. coming into so many countries. PePFAR is really the the battle line in Africa to limit China's influence. Um, without it, you'll see Africa lost to China. that's that's one downside of, of this debate that's going on. But more importantly, you have people who are on life-saving medications. And think of about people you know here in the U.S. who are on life-saving medications. If their medications are threatened, it means their life. Mm. And, here, and here we're holding hostage right now. 20 million more or more people so that somebody can get a protection that isn't needed to a problem that doesn't exist. I mean, it is—that's that, got to be close to the definition of insane. But, but no the, the, one, per, no one's saying that these. Hurt.
3: But no one's saying that these medications will go away right away. Uh, that 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 will happen right away, right? No, I mean,
1: not, not not right away, but you have you have a structure right now that funds the medications, it's, it's very intricate, and we're trying to transition uh, countries into doing more themselves. Uh, the Global Fund is helping. Other countries are helping, but not to the degree that PEPFAR does. So to replace that is going to take time. You need a five-year reauthorization so that you can plan to be able to do that. Right now, um, with no reauthorization, we don't know here, nor do people in Africa know that there'll be any money the following year. Uh, we're in a you know budget mayhem in respect to people wanting to cut money, cut programs, and this is one that is really life-dependent for many people uh, without it. Mm.
3: And Katha, what do you think uh, the effects will be if PEPFAR is not reauthorized for five years? If it is perhaps one year uh, or, or three, uh, as, as Sarah mentioned, might be likely.
5: Yeah, just to uh, reiterate what Shepherd has said, it is lives of people that I know that are going to be affected, that are going to not have um certainty there'll be a lot of insati- uh, uncertainty mm-hmm. with uh, lives of people i'm going to use um an example of hypertension and because that more people might be able to relate to that if you do not know where you're gonna get your your meds for hypertension for the following month it's, it's, it's tragic if you depend on them for life. The same thing with uh, your antiretroviral treatment. So it's going to be more people infected. It's going to be a generation of, of children who would have otherwise not uh, gotten um, HIV, that are going to get HIV because their mothers could not access uh, life-saving treatment. It's, it's, it's uncertainty in always if we don't get five years. Because what happens when we get the five-year authorization, then we start thinking about the next five years. But now when we have an authorization, let's say for one year, and maybe budget cuts, you have to start thinking about what of the life-saving program are you going to cut? Is it the meds? Is it the counseling is it treatment for opportunistic infections? Is it the labs? So you have to cut something, and I'm not sure what in the whole um, um, arena of, of of the of the life saving PEPFAR is is going to be cut with, within a year. You have to sit down and plan and think through what do we prioritize and what do we cut, mm. and it's it's important that we have that certainty for us to be able to plan.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, I wonder, though, as we said, this is a 20-year-old program. I mean, perhaps it may need some revising. And I've read some studies uh, where folks have questioned whether PEPFAR is actually taking resources away from other diseases or, or health care workers who perhaps don't go into primary care but go into AIDS and HIV care because there are resources there to pay for medical and health care workers where there may not be as many in primary care. So I wonder... Does it, this affect the infrastructure of uh, the health infrastructure in Africa, and and could it be up for for some revising at this point in and of itself, Shepherd Smith? What do you say to that?
1: The impact of PEPFAR on health generally in Africa beyond HIV/AIDS is really remarkable in the improvements made in in virtually all areas, where people really didn't, uh, for example, weren't really concerned about cancer before because AIDS was killing people at early ages, it's now an issue uh, and is being dealt with. PEPFAR has strengthened healthcare care systems already uh, and continues to improve them across the board in Africa. There's a study I saw where they took 22 different health conditions where PEPFAR was operating, and 21 of them, non-related to HIV-AIDS, showed improvement, vast improvement, in fact. Um, So it's already doing what people are saying needs to be done. It really monitors regularly uh, itself very carefully on where it can improve. Uh, Dr, Dr. Birx, uh, when she headed PEPFAR, uh, was, I won't quite say tyrant, but whatever, it's close to that, <laughs> in, in uh, making sure everybody was performing as they said they were, would perform. It's, we've, we've been involved in lots of government grants over the last 40 years, with different agencies and departments, and there, there's none that is as well run as this. Uh, there's none that has all the contractors and grantees working together so closely for a for a common goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a remarkable program.
3: Well, you know what? What when you say that, it makes makes me wonder uh, a little bit that there may be some listeners uh, who are thinking, well, uh, of course you're going to defend this program, right? You're you're working with organizations that rely on its on its funding, and uh, so so you have a, a different viewpoint. How how can we ensure your objectivity here,
1: Shepard Smith? Okay. Well, first, um, and I've seen that accusation, uh, I had an organization called the Institute for Youth Development. It was never a grantee of PEPFAR. My wife's organization, the Children's AIDS Fund that I helped found, uh, was a grantee formerly of PEPFAR, um, but I was never on the payroll. So I, don't, I haven't had a financial benefit other than a few consulting times that I've had with the program that might be a few thousand dollars. So I don't have a financial uh, interest personally. I've just witnessed this program. I've witnessed all the tragedy of AIDS over the last 38 years. And this is just miraculous is the only way to describe it. And to denigrate it in the way that it's been denigrated, is unfair to the people in Africa. It's unfair to the people that have worked in this program and to all the people of faith who have been behind it and working hard on it and are pro-life themselves.
3: Mm-hmm. And, and Katha, I wonder what you would say uh, to folks who say, you know, do you have a, a conflict
5: defending this program in Katha? No, I don't, because... Um what the project, uh, what what PEPFAR has done as a program has been uh, quite some good work. And just to actually add to what Shefer was saying about um, the argument that uh, the PEPFAR of 2003 needs to change. The PEPFAR that I implemented when I worked at a health pass facility in 2003... Is not the same as what we have now. Mm-hmm. There have been improvements. There have been strategies. PePFAR has strategic plans, five-year strategic plans that help to make sure that what we are implementing has been thought through very well. And uh, it, we, I, I, I no longer work uh, directly with facilities or benefit from uh, funding, but there are. Human beings, uh, people like I said that I can name, that are benefiting from these funds, and so uh, I'm personally very concerned about what that could mean for these lives. And and if people can think about it as human lives that we are talking about, and think about the damage that happened even with a with a brief interruption of treatment during COVID, then we are able to see what what kind of Uh, damage we could do to human beings if we, if we interrupted PEPFAR.
3: Yeah, we, you know, we've, we've certainly heard about the United Nations goal of ending AIDS by 2030 and, and the pandemic's effects, I think, are still being measured in terms of whether that goal is still achievable. But what would you say? Is it achievable? And, and how, how does PEPFAR's role in all of that affect that goal?
5: And Katha? It's definitely achievable. Uh, one of the things that we currently have on our plate that we're discussing very well is uh, ensuring that we take care of the with, of children with HIV because those are the ones that have, uh, right now we have a big challenge. They're countries that have made quite tremendous um, uh, progress in ending AIDS. And uh, so we, we are picking, we're not picking who have we not yet addressed, who are we leaving behind and addressing that. So it is an achievable goal but we need to have concerted efforts towards the same thing, all of us, like uh, we have had uh, in the faith uh, sector, which where the the faith sector, as you know it, we started working on HIV even before we had PEPFAR. We had nuns going to see people with HIV and ensure they have food and they have comfort. And the faith communities will continue to do this even beyond... uh, uh, PEPFAR, if ever there's an end to PEPFAR, but uh, we need to all be working towards the same goal for us to end AIDS.
3: And Shepherd Smith, you get the, the last word, the last minute we have here. What would you say about this goal of, of ending AIDS by 2030 and, and PEPFAR's role?
1: It's going to be a real challenge with a fully functioning PEPFAR program. Without that, I think because of the demographics in Africa with so many young people, more than half the population, I think, is under 15, um, you will have a huge epidemic of HIV AIDS uh, if the program falters. It's, to me, still a close call to get the containment that's necessary and we're on track to do that but if we have a damaged program um, it means millions of lives potentially will be lost and okay. that's why I'm embarrassed by this argument by my friends here.
3: Shepard Smith, co-founder of Children's AIDS Fund International, thank you. Thank you very
1: much for having
3: me. And Nkatha Njeru, CEO of the Africa Christian Health Association's platform. Thank you, Nkatha.
5: Thank you for having me as well.
3: And before we wrap up today, a quick word about some extra episodes we're going to drop in the On Point podcast feed over the weekend. On Tuesday, the Federal Trade Commission and some states sued Amazon, accusing the e-commerce giant of stifling competition. So we are resurfacing some episodes from our series titled, The Prime Effect. You can look for it on On Point podcast feed over the weekend or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Deborah Becker. This is On Point.